0: Welcome to this episode of The Paulian, the podcast of St. Paul's School. I'm Augusto Neto, the Assistant Director of the University Guidance and Careers and Scholarship Mentor. I invite you to join us to discuss the latest developments across the senior and junior schools here at St. Paul's. Let's explore the school's strategies and approaches to academic, pastoral and co-curricular life and evaluate educational trends. In this episode, Mrs. Ziba Clark, our Deputy Head and Safeguarding Lead, talks to four parents from different sections of the school about safeguarding and how it is such a key aspect of daily life at St Paul's. Grab your cup of coffee or tea and join us.
1: We have a duty to promote the welfare of our children and protect them from harm. We are here to keep every child in school safe.
2: So it's a good thing to know they're being carefully watched.
1: There's no world in which we can say no child will ever have a setback or ever have a challenge. I think the school is an extension of the values and everything that you teach at home. And develop a sense and understanding of what happiness is. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome uh, four parents from around the school uh, who have experience of children right the way through the school to have a chat with us today about safeguarding PSHE and social and emotional learning in the school in St. Paul's as it is at the moment. So uh, I'd like to ask each of our parents here to introduce themselves. I am Bianca, um, I have two children in school, one in PrEP 5 and
3: one in PrEP
4: 3. Uh, my name is Ian and I have a student in a senior school, he's in upper 6th.
3: Hi, I'm Paul, I've got a son in form 3 and a daughter in PrEP 5.
2: Hi, I'm Joanna, I have three children at school, one in
1: lower 6, one in form 4 and one in PrEP 3. It will be thirty years in September that I started teaching, and in that time throughout my career, safeguarding has been a growing concern in schools, and it 's become really prominent over the past i would say ten years in particular it 's essentially uh, the definition of safeguarding is that concept that, as a school. Uh, we, in the school, the staff, right the way through administrative, support staff, teaching staff, and particularly the senior management, we have a duty to promote the welfare of our children and protect them from harm. So I'm going to start with a question to parents about uh, whether that's a definition that they would agree with. I think
2: mental health and physical health are two very important um, things we have to think about, especially because we drop off our children and they have a long day at school and so many possibilities of things that can happen once they're inside these walls. So it's a good thing to know they're being carefully watched.
3: I think it's extremely important that we have this sort of philosophy in school and people really looking into this sort of thing so that we as parents can feel safe and know that our children are well taken care of during their time in school?
1: Um, And I think that has really expanded. The scientific basis for the way that we look after children has expanded so much. So uh, if you look at the developments in things like understanding the interaction of genetics and environment, understanding how the brain works, and particularly the adolescent brain, um, and also things like uh, recently they've just published a huge Uh, kind of summary of the harvard study of adult development which is looking at happiness and health and it's a long study it's been going on for over 80 years now since 1938 looking at what makes a happy healthy individual and for us school is like the the bedrock for that so i think for us as a school Uh, that's an area that we're really trying to develop, that whole concept that we're setting up our children not just to get through school, but to get through life. Um, Yes, I think you gave us a great definition and very clear definition of what is safeguarding. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about uh, what elements does it involve in a school and maybe give us some examples of safeguarding issues in school? So for us, um, I think uh, there, are, there are kind of really mundane aspects of safeguarding. So there's a, a real health and safety element, making sure that children don't fall over, don't bump their heads. Uh, if they do, that we've got all the mechanisms to look after them, To like the nurses on site, uh, making sure that the environment is as safe physically as possible, practising things like evacuation and lockdown All of those kinds of elements are part of the kind of what I think of as the physical side of safeguarding. But I think more importantly, and this has become really uh, uh, vital, and particularly since the pandemic, is the mental health aspect aspect that Joanna raised as well. So we're looking at making sure that emotionally we're providing a rich environment for children where, first of all, they're going to make mistakes because they're humans, they're learning, they're growing up. Um, and also, as well as making the mistakes, that we have the mechanisms in place to handle the consequences of the mistakes that they might make, Um, partly because we know that the chief area of safeguarding that we have to look out for is peer-on-peer. In other words, what children say and do with each other. That's, generally speaking, the largest cause of issues within a school the day-to-day interactions some of these are really trivial Uh, so it's like stop chewing gum stop sticking the gum under the table and that kind of thing because uh, you know you're breaking the law you're breaking the rules of the school and you know you shouldn't be chewing gum in school so that's low level stuff but we also have children who are I think pushing boundaries the whole time because that's part and parcel of growing up and so for us that key element of safeguarding is making sure that we have ways where children will understand that they've pushed the boundaries perhaps too far, but that we have ways to help them think through the boundaries. And that's where the social and educational learning comes through. Uh, That's one of the really uh, important parts. The key things for us as well is making sure that we work with families to create an environment where we can see the hidden stuff a little bit more clearly.
4: Yeah, I think St Paul's is a is a, is a really special environment to for this kind of program because the, the PTA, the, the the parents, they're very much involved with the school, so it's it's easy to bring them close to the school, easy to bring them to issues that they might not realize at home what's going on here. Um, so it's it's a really closed community. And you need you need support from the parents, I
1: mean,
4: absolutely. and and the environment to make sure the kids come forward and tell them. It happen. is, and
1: for us, things like developing the prefects, making sure that we train up students as peer listeners, uh, making sure that the teachers are fully trained in how to deal with issues. Th- those are all key aspects of the safeguarding for us. Uh, that we make sure that as a community. We are continually thinking about how to encourage people to come forward to uh, to explain how, why they're feeling troubled or how they're being troubled and to really have those open conversations at home in school and uh, and if necessary with professionals outside of school as well my
3: question is more of who is responsible in school to oversee that? this is being done, that people are really looking into this, that children really feel comfortable to come forward and externalise whatever they have, whatever concern they have.
1: So we have a safeguarding team. Uh, I'm, the, the, I'm called officially the designated safeguarding lead for the school, and that means that fundamentally making sure that we handle safeguarding concerns is my responsibility it's it's the I would say it's probably the most important aspect of my job so for me uh, having a good team around me is essential Uh, partly because uh, that's creating that network. So uh, the main people that we have on the team, we have somebody at every level in the school who is also a fully trained safeguarding lead. And we've all done what is called Level 3 and Level 4 training in the UK.
4: Yeah, thank you. I was going to ask that question. How how do the other teachers, not the specialists from the team, get get training?
1: So everybody gets trained to recognise a problem, um, so, if a child comes to you, or you see a child who looks as though they're not that something is not quite right, you recognise that. You respond. Um, that you may go forward to them and actually ask them, oh, "Is everything all right?" Or they may come to you and and talk to you. Uh, you record, and that's the really key bit. And I think that's the bit where we've made real steps in the past a few months, uh, you record and then the safeguarding team and all of the people involved in safeguarding at level 2 or above uh, our heads of year and classroom teachers. We respond and we review. So that's the point at which we may will be doing an investigation into something, and some are really short and sharp. You have a, sh- you know, you have a case where there are children running around and they're all throwing, uh, you know, hand gel at each other, hand sanitizer at each other. They're just—it's a Friday afternoon. I'm afraid to say third form. I know some of you are third form parents here. The third formers are running around and rampage on the on the rampage a little bit in that gap between break and and uh, the next class, uh, and somebody started throwing hand sanitizer, and it might escalate, and they all and. Some Somebody gets upset and then you're spending time calming that situation down but then you also so that won't need a long-term action plan that will need pretty much a short sharp sanction a a little a swift chat and probably a tuesday detention of some of some sort Uh, with the younger students there's a lot of restorative conversations they have timeouts they have uh, reflective moments when they're taken out of class and they're asked to either write or discuss what happened and why it happened So, Because for us, the key thing is that every teacher needs training and understanding that the reflection is the the key part of making sure that children think about what's happened, think about what their steps are to make a situation better, and then uh, take it forward. And when these situations happen, um, when are parents involved and how can they support their children to feel safe and, and a valued member of the school? In the junior school, it's very fast. So, uh, if, uh, And one of the things that we have at the moment is this new system called CPOMS, which is a software program where teaching staff are recording all sorts of behavior. And what it allows us to do is to see where a child is kind of having increased issues, increased slips with behavior or you know increased confrontations with peers or with staff and at that point we in the junior school the classroom teacher will be pretty quick to say how is everything at home uh we're noticing you know slightly slightly more flare-ups are they getting enough sleep are they you know what's going on uh and and then having that conversation with home in the senior school uh, it will depend to a certain extent on the conversation that we have with a student because sometimes students themselves, if, if there's a detention, the parents will be notified, absolutely, so that, that they'll know. But quite often the children themselves say, no, this is just between me and my friends. And it will only be when we think, actually, that's not quite right. The the, the friendship here is perhaps not necessarily the most productive. They're They're working with each other. They're playing off against each other and, and the incidents are escalating. At that stage, the head of year will contact the tutor or the head of year will contact the family and say, is everything all right? How is this going? So it's very much a dialogue and the children are part of it. They're at the centre of that dialogue. It's really key for that to happen for us.
3: When, when, when a situation happens with the children, how, how, do, how should they act how they sh- how should they bring it up? Where do they t- who do they talk to? Where do they come up? So, uh,
1: let's give an an instance where you might have, um, say, some sort of scuffle on the sports field between a group of children, uh, which is is pretty common, and. Uh, immediately those children will be pulled up uh, and if they're in the junior school there'll be classroom assistants and then the classroom assistants will take them straight to a teacher there'll be conversations to find out exactly what's going on if it's senior school it will be the tutor it will be the head of year and it may well be mrs freganese or mrs Operachoa. Um, or Mr. Sutton, who are all on the senior leadership team, uh, so those conversations will take place. It will depend on the seriousness of the incident um, those in- some incidents are if, if it 's a really serious incident where, for example, somebody is using totally inappropriate language or there 's some form of mobile phone infringement, and we 're really concerned about the content or the uh, what is going on on the mobile phone. Very often it will be TikTok uh, is the source of a a lot of issues that we've got. Um, That will take place in offices, in private, and essentially the key thing there is for us to listen and try to find out what the child thinks has gone on. And very often, particularly with social media incidents, things that are going on on WhatsApp, things that are going on on TikTok, um, unfortunately, there's going to be a gap between the child's understanding of what they have done and the legal position, uh, for example. And we will also have conversations with our data protection officer, Catherine Asaga, who is uh, she's been trained fully in data protection matters and in things like the the law associated with. Um, with social media with use of social media and use of mobiles and things like that so it very much depends on where the conversation will happen it will unfold uh, it will take time uh, but there will be a thorough investigation and as a, as an incident escalates in seriousness it's taken further up the senior leadership so there will be colleagues who are fully trained safeguarding specialists particularly where we have social media incidents uh, because those are I- increasingly complex, and children themselves don't fully understand the implications.
4: Yeah, and I think the online safeguarding is is fundamental nowadays yes. and and people do it, thinking they're behind a curtain, no one's going to see them. But I think it's a very good quietly give a very powerful message to all that um, the school is under control is looking at this, this is how we our procedures are so that people on the other side get inhibited. Um, can you talk to us a bit more about that?
1: Our real concern, uh, I, I would say, is the issue of um, mobile phones and social media. Um, Dr. Mack has shown has shared uh, with me and with other members of the safeguarding team some really quite frightening research about the surge in mental health problems in schools, which is directly related to the arrival of the smartphone in our hands and what also concerns us deeply is that children are being given phones by families younger and younger and parents are not necessarily monitoring that as closely as they should so for us we have a a kind of three-tier set of training Uh, which is obviously staff are aware and we do have a very strict policy which is mobile phones are not allowed out of the school bag during the school day for anybody under uh, in form form three and under and from form four it's quite carefully controlled and then form five a little bit more control and forms uh, and in the sixth form they're allowed to have their mobiles out and about um, for us, uh, the real concerns, though, is that there is not a filter on a lot of children, that they don't understand, number one, that everything that they do on social media is there for life, and that when they go to work in, say, 10 years' time, that information may well follow them. Uh, also, that the law itself has changed really fast about what is legitimately able to be shared, so for example any dubious images there is a lot available uh, on the internet we know uh, of of bad images uh, pornographic images or hate speech things like that that are readily sadly readily accessible to children and uh, they and they need to understand and be aware that it is illegal both in brazilian law and in british law it's exactly the same interestingly and the gdpr uh, the the data protection legislation is virtually identical in europe the u.s and in south america and sharing of uh, of images which are incorrect is illegal and it can cause children to have criminal records so we're doing an education piece with parents we're speaking to them uh, Catherine Asega, our data protection officer, is, is doing assemblies with the children. And we're really uh, driving, her, trying to drive home that message that you need to be aware that your phone is a destructive message, a, a, a destructive tool. So it's up to us as parents, as school, to provide children with that framework so that a mobile phone, they are wonderful things. We all know we're all addicted to them. But uh, they they should be a creative tool, not a destructive tool. And we know that they can be deeply destructive. They're a real cause of mental health health issues. There have been strings of suicides in the States and in the UK associated with cyberbullying. So for parents, it's about learning how to apply the family controls on your child's phone checking it, making sure that your child understands really clearly they do not have a legal right to privacy until they're 16 or 18. So you have, uh, our parents have an absolute right to ask their child to look at the phone, to check the apps, to look at the messaging that is going on, and to make sure that those parental controls are in place. Parents have been brilliant. Uh, A lot of the issues that we've seen with mobile phones have been brought to us by concerned parents, and we are really appreciative of that because you are the ones seeing these messages going around and hearing and and experiencing what is going on at home. But our message from school is: just because it happens at home or out of school time at the weekends during a holiday, does not mean we have no involvement. And I think as well, children need to understand that, that if they are using their phones to make somebody else who is in school feel unsafe and uncomfortable and vulnerable to harm, that is a safeguarding concern.
2: Is this something that PSHE curriculum gives them the opportunity to get to know? And um, do they um, have these skills given to them by the teachers? Is this discussed in class? And what's discussed during this class? Because we, we always hear PSHE and we don't really understand what goes on, what, what are they talking about, and what does it stand
1: for? So PSHE is personal, social, and health education. And uh, in British schools, it's a compulsory legal element. So it's things like physical and mental health, and that inevitably Uh, opens up those discussions about online behavior particularly the mental health concerns growing and changing and the fact that you know throughout childhood and adolescence our children are developing in all sorts of ways and that their personal growth is really at the heart of what we're doing at school personal safety uh, so and again that is very much open to that discussion about online safety as well relationships sex education education bullying and discrimination, media, digital literacy, um, money and work, and uh, community and responsibility. That's the kind of whole set of topics that are covered by PSHE. PSHE is something which is a continuous process. And in the junior school, uh, there are continual conversations around a whole range of PSHE issues, which are both in, uh, in subject classes and out. So in the junior school, there's less kind of official dedicated time because every day there is, generally speaking, some form of PSHE activity logged as part of the junior school curriculum. It's, part, it's really embedded in that curriculum. Because once you get to senior school, everything is much more demarcated into subject areas. Uh, we have PSHE lessons but we also are really working uh, with colleagues across the whole senior school to embed elements of PSHE into the other subjects. So, for example, biology is the natural home for sex education, for the nuts and bolts, but similarly, humanities, uh, English in particular, where I'm an English teacher, so for me it's, it's a really familiar aspect. We look at major issues to do with... Um, all sorts of intolerance, uh, all sorts of prejudice, all sorts of uh, issues that uh, children need to be thinking about. And to give you an example, uh, I've just begun teaching Macbeth, uh, the Shakespeare play, and Macbeth is really interesting. It's 500 years old, but if you listen to what Macbeth and his wife say about sleep, it is absolutely relevant, and we know from current research that the biggest uh, difficulty that children have as teenagers is sleeping and that has a major impact on their mental health and their development. If you don't sleep properly, you don't recover, you don't restore yourself and you really open yourself to a whole range of mental health concerns, psychosis, bipolar, uh, all sorts of conditions can emerge through lack of sleep. And yet, you know, Shakespeare is there five hundred years ago, saying "Sleep, which knits up the raveled sleeve of, uh, of care," I'm talking about the conversation
2: that occurs between um, children and their teachers. Um, something that occurred to me was that we are international school, but most of our students are actually Brazilian, yeah. and so English is their second language, and Portuguese is their mother tongue, where they can freely speak about emotions, and maybe more easily identify and name what they're feeling. If they don't have sufficient language or vocabulary in English, how is this dealt with in school? How can they communicate their needs and make meaning-making connection, healing, learning? Um, How has this worked with these younger children? Is there a Is there this concern about naming what they're feeling? And we've talked a bit about they're they're able to come up to their teachers and talk, but a language is a barrier.
1: So uh, we we are, first of all, we're in a stage of transition because um, legally uh, the way that bilingual schools have worked, bilingual international schools in Brazil have have worked, is that you could have... uh, another language is the dominant one so the German in the German school Italian or, or English as was the case here but both uh, the actual research into children's development and uh, the and the the kind of legislation surrounding it has meant that we are putting a bigger emphasis and we're really beginning to do some concrete research into this into making sure that children feel comfortable in either language and also we do have so that, uh, if you look at the staffing in the junior school and also increasingly in the senior school we will try to pair non-portuguese speakers with portuguese speakers so for example the teacher may be english but the classroom assistant is portuguese and vice versa so that there's always a native speaker of both languages in the classroom in junior school. So that's one of the key elements, and we're also increasingly aware. We had a really interesting talk in January at our train at our staff training. We had a, a, a lady from the from Britain who's um, a doctor of linguistics, and her speciality is bilingualism, and she was talking to us about what she called translanguaging, This idea that children should code switch. Should be and particularly bilingual children, should be able to code switch easily and feel comfortable in either language, and a mishmash. And interestingly, talking to the six formers, they, uh, they sort of uh, jokingly said to me at one stage, oh, oh, other schools joke about us because we speak Paulian. And Paulian is this idea of this mishmash language of English and Portuguese which I think is one its really interesting because it creates that strength, those strong ties, so that our old Paulians, they're still part of this community because they've all grown up using this mishmash language and it has meant that they're fluent in both. But it is core that I think that we really acknowledge that the younger children, there will be times when they're flipping in and out of languages and if you're distressed, you naturally go to your mother tongue.
3: Can I make just a last comment? And I think it's it's a compliment, actually. And um, there was a very serious bullying issue in the Form 5 just a while ago. A group of children with another group of children. And uh, I was extremely pleased and happy with the way the school dealt with it and how they brought all this safeguard in another conversation, how they did it so... I think that was a very good example of how good the school is, in my view, to these sort of issues. So I just wanted to bring this up.
1: Thank you. That, uh, we really appreciate it. And we do appreciate parental feedback. Um, for us, it's an essential part of keeping our children safe. That partnership between us uh, as staff members and you as families. You know your children best. You live with them day in, day out. But equally, we sometimes see sides of them that you don't get to see because they're experimenting. And so that dialogue for us is really key. And to know that we're doing the right thing and that we're taking the right approach is also really helpful. Our commitment is absolutely we are here to keep every child in school safe and to, have, to give them the opportunity to grow, to develop and to be as happy as possible in their future and to go out and really be the best they can be uh, as Paulians in the future. Thank you so much for your time. Really Thank appreciated. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions. Perhaps there's a topic you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Please email comments and suggestions to contact at That is contact at stpoles.br. We also thank the parents who helped us on this episode. That is it for this edition of the Paulian. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us again for our next installment, wherever and whenever you are. Bye-bye.